0: This podcast is brought to you by the Caesar Encyclopedia which is my own weekly email newsletter. It's the place where I share all the cool things that I've learned throughout my week with my friends around the world. I share the books, podcasts, and interesting people I find that help me enjoy life more. And as I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind and how my view of the world has changed that week. The newsletter is completely free. It comes out only once a week and it's only available for those who sign up by email. You can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using the link in my Instagram bio. Let's get learning. Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, guys. Today, I am honored to have uh, my first professor on, uh, Dr. Liu, who was my professor when I went to study abroad. Um, I want to give a little intro for who Dr. Liu is to me. I first met Dr. Liu when he served as a As the faculty advisor for my first year interest group at the University of Texas at Austin, he gave me and other students uh, from the group advice on how to begin to navigate through college during our first semester. In the summer of 2017, I attended a study abroad program in Beijing, China, that was titled Social Entrepreneurship in China, and that was led by Dr. Liu. During my time in China, I got to work on a project that solved the problem in China through social entrepreneurship. I also had the opportunity to teach English to migrant Chinese students and had the incredible experience of learning about Chinese history and and culture. I also got to eat uh, scorpions and work on my bargaining skills, which was which is awesome. Um, Dr. Liu and Dr. Moore were two of the professors who helped changed my life by showing me the importance and power of understanding different cultures. So I'm honored to have you on the show, Dr. Liu. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Caesar. It's great to reconnect and and be a part of the show. Thank you.
0: Um, I'm excited to talk to you so that my audience can learn some of the skills that I learned from you. And I wanted to start by asking you about what you're up to now. I know that you moved to from UT Austin to uh, the University of California at San Diego, and that you're now the director of the Office of Academic Support and Instructional Services, which is also known as OASIS. But I wanted to hear in your words about the work that you're doing there and what your mission is there.
1: Sure. So um, I'm very fortunate enough to have had uh, multiple opportunities to work with uh, first-generation underserved students, which I did have at the University of Texas at Austin uh, with the Gateway Scholars Program in the Longhorn Center for Academic Excellence. Um, and now work in a very similar capacity where I direct a center uh, consisting of eight different transitional programs um, that help first-generation underserved and underrepresented um, students in particular transition into UC San Diego, um, but also to help students transition out into the workforce um, or into entrepreneurship, uh, into podcasting (laughs) (laughs) and to really kind of, uh, figure out what their North star, what their passion, what their purpose is, um, and go out into the world and tackle it. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, A big part of what um, Oasis does is uh, provide transitional services to students um, into UC San Diego and Mm. into the world.
0: Why? Why did you? Where does the interest of to work with uh, first first generation students um, come from? Like why specifically them? And and I know for me, I remember we had we uh, we had a conversation one time about entrepreneurship when I was in college, because that's one of the things that I've always been interested in. And what what is the motivation for working with first uh, underrepresented students?
1: Yeah, so the mission of this office, and just frankly, this line of work is really passionate to me um, and ver- runs very deep in me because I am a first-generation coll- college student. Um, my, I'm the second person in my entire family to uh, go to college. Um, and graduate from college following my big brother who graduated from the University of Maryland. Um, and I'm the first person in my entire extended family to uh, get any sort of graduate degree. Um, so I went off and got my master's and then a doctorate later on. Um, so I'm the first person in my entire extended family to get a graduate degree. Um, and so you know the the meaning and the purpose of being a first generation identity um, and student now alumnus uh, runs very deep in me because, you know, I felt those, those barriers, right. It was very much so a part of my experience. Mm. Um, On the website, I actually have a message from the director. So from myself Mm -hmm. um, of the Oasis website, where I talk about my very first experience stepping on foot at UT campus, because I actually went there as an undergrad. Right. Um, And so I remember this very vividly because I was an out-of-state student, and I was only lucky enough to go out of state because I got a really great scholarship to be able to uh, afford to go. And, you know, back then there wasn't Uber, (laughs) right? There wasn't, (laughs) we didn't have a smartphone. So I couldn't like, you know, pick up my phone and and call. Um, I mean, I I didn't even really have a cell phone at that time. And so I arrived at Austin airport, which back then was a really, really small airport. And it was the first time that I'd really ever left the DC area and the East coast. It was my first time, you know, oh, out of wow. that area and my first time kind of into uh, the Southwest and Texas. Right. And so mm-hmm. every stereotype of Texas <laughs> that you can think of, you know, I pretty much. <laughs> have. And I remember when I told folks that I was going to Texas, folks told me that, you know um, I must've been out of my mind to really consider going so far from home, which I think a lot of first-generation students mm-hmm. kind of encounter. Right. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so I remember stepping off of the airport and, um, you know, back then getting a taxi, cause that was the only time that I could go, uh, you know, my parents had to work. They didn't have the luxury of being able to come with me to explore the campus. So I hailed a taxi cab and, um, told them to take me to the university of Texas.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: again, being a first generation college student, I don't think you realize how big a college campus is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they dropped me off. Like at like an affiliate or extension of the university of Texas, um, which was about two miles away from like where I, I actually needed to go. Wow. And so it was July or August, but as you know, July and August, Ooh, in Texas, the you know, humidity.
0: Oh man. Just, so
1: <laughs> I had two big suitcases with me and I had to walk two miles Again, there wasn't Uber, there wasn't the, the luxuries back then. Um, to get to uh, my orientation, and I ended up at my orientation completely sweaty, disgusting. Um, and I remember thinking at that time, you know, like every single person that encouraged me to co- to go to college, I was cursing in my brain. Like, I was just so <laughs> upset at him. like, why did you tell me to do this? I could have I could have done something easier. Right. I could have gone to my local community college. Yeah. I could have gotten a job. I yeah. could have gone to the university of Maryland. Right. Which was like down the street. And mm-hmm. I would have known a lot of people who went instead, I chose to go to a far away university in the middle of quote unquote, nowhere, right. Well, uh, yeah. Without knowing anyone. <laughs> and what changed for me and what was the pivoting point was, uh, my orientation leader, um, ended up greeting me. And, you know, he saw that I was like sweaty and gross and he came out and he said, Hey, look, you know, um, like, let me go and get you set up. He took me to like a room in the back. He literally like gave me one of his own shirts, um, wow. so wow. that I could change into, and then started introducing me to people. And so that was kind of the, 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 the moment of change for me, right. Where Man. I went from cursing everyone to really being excited to go to college. And so I think from that moment on, I was kind of, you know, have, have held on to that experience. It's a powerful memory for me. And those are the types of experiences that I want to provide to other first-gen students, right, and other underserved students hmm. um, that come to a campus like UC San Diego or come to a campus like UT Austin and may not feel like they belong. And so that is a, is a very um, tangible kind of like anecdote and story in terms of why I do the work that I do.
0: That that makes a lot of sense to me because I mean the the only reason I met to, met you was because I was in Gateway Scholars which um, was kind of like an organization that I for me uh, it introduced me immediately uh, on my first like day uh, at UT Austin to a to a community that I could be a part of right. and 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 I look back on how uh, fortunate I was because because of Gateway Scholars I got into Dr Moore's class. Because I was in Doctor Moore's class, I studied abroad in South Africa, and because I studied abroad in South Africa, I went to China with you. So you know, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, But I see, I'm starting to see more and more the power in uh, in building these communities. I want on this lesson, this big lesson that you learned, um, which which I I read your bio and it said you said college is not a journey meant to be taken alone, right? Right. I want to ask how did that, uh, lesson impact your first year of college or like your, your years of college? How did that lesson, like, how did, what did it change? What did, it, what did it make you do uh, throughout <laughs> <Yeah>. your college? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so I grew up on the East coast, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up on the, on the East coast, it's a, it's a pretty fast culture. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I would also say that it's a pretty prideful culture. It's very sarcastic. It's fast paced. And so I remember my first year at UT Austin, I immediately felt like I didn't belong. And I felt like everyone already knew each other because a lot of people did know each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, either they had friends from high school or classmates or mm-hmm. friends friends. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have any of that. Right. And, um, and I remember even, uh, you know, talking with some, some, some other students and peers and, you know, them being like, oh, where are you from? And everyone's like, oh, like Houston, like Tomball, you know, um, like Katy, whatever. Right. Like all the Texas cities. Yeah. Um, like El Paso. And, El Paso, yeah. um, you know, for me, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm from like Maryland. And I remember someone saying, yeah, wh- where is that? Like, where is that in Texas? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, no, you know, it's actually like a state, like on the East Coast. Uh, But, you know, I think like all those different experiences uh, really did kind of in my first year, especially uh, made me pretty standoffish, right? I think, Mm. um, you know, I was prideful. I was a little arrogant. I was a little edgy from the East Coast. uh, And so I did a lot of stuff by myself. And... To be honest, my very first year, I, I didn't do very well in school. I think a lot, like a lot of first gen students Mm -hmm. coming from high school, um, where, you know, you, you're, you're a, uh, what do they call it? You're, you're a big fish in a small pond, right? And then you go to being a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. Um, so that was very much so my experience. And so I remember when I got to Texas and I was competing and working with folks on a very different level, um, it really opened my eyes and frankly it was a very humbling experience so there was a moment when you know I, I didn't have the funds and the money to travel home for thanksgiving uh so it was my first thanksgiving um in college and i was like i had like take out by myself in my dorm oh my and goodness. that was kind of like my like lowest point <laughs> <laughs> Like it was just a very, very just frankly like depressing and I think dark moment. And I think that's when I realized, you know, look, my grades suck. Mm -hmm. I'm terribly lonely. Um, I don't feel like I'm getting the experience that I thought I was going to get. And I think that's when the light switched inside of me to think, okay, look, like, what is it that you have to do to get out there and meet folks and not be in the situation anymore. Right. Oh wow. Yeah. And so I think, you know, before, before that moment, I was always kind of like expecting other people to make the first move to get to know me. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, after that, you know, I became very intentional about smiling, saying hi, talking to people in the elevator, right? Like, which honestly, like you don't do on the East Coast. Like people think you're kind of weird if you do it, but you know, I was in a different place, right? Like I couldn't keep being that East Coast kid in Austin, Texas, because I'm not in the East Coast. And I think I had to realize that for myself, right? I'm in a very different environment and I have to adapt to the culture um, and the way of being here in Texas. And so, um, you know, I, I, I switched it up and um, during my second semester, I got involved in organizations. I think that was kind of the beginning of um, becoming involved as a student leader, meeting different people, um, meeting staff members and professors, which I was always like so scared and intimidated to do. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's where it really kind of shifted for me, um, where I kind of got out of my own head, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and really began to explore. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's been a journey
0: ever since. You know, I think this is something that I faced as well and that I still try to get better at, which is meeting new people, meeting strangers, you know, because even though I was, I didn't know a lot of people at UT Austin, I still had a couple of friends and it's from, from El Paso. And it's so easy to just hang out with those people. But I think I've always tried to push myself into meeting more people. Um, and through that, I've learned like a lot of I've read a lot of books on like, uh, how to speak to people, which have given me the confidence to go up to people. Um, and there's a lot of other resources that I've turned to. Were there any resources that you turned to during that time to like, to help you make that shift? Were there like any books you read or, or did you just know, like, I need to start smiling more. I need to just start being more proactive. Was it something intuitive or were there resources you turned to?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it, it, it wasn't actually a specific resource that I, I turned to. Um, I think one of the things that I did, to be honest, was um, I met a lot of folks in high school when I worked. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. I, I when I was sixteen, I was um, a host at a local Red Lobster, and then later <laughs> on became a waiter. Right, and I was a server, um, and you know, so I had my friends from school, and I had my friends from work, mm-hmm. and. So intuitively I was like, look, you know, like, why don't I get a job, <laughs> right? Like not only because I need the money, yeah. but also because I think that's where I can meet some people. And so, um, I was lucky enough to kind of come across, um, a job over at the learning center. Um, so again, mm-hmm. like kind of like full circle, right. Cause that's, that's, um, a big that's part where of where you ended up working I direct right now. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up working at the front desk for, um, the learning center and I got a chance to meet a few people and then they introduced me to some people and they all just kind of snowballed. Right. Mm. So when I look back, it really kind of starts with taking that first step and going back to what you know and what's comfortable for you, which yeah. in my case, it was like I knew that I met people through a job that I had in high school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of from there, finding a job in college. And that's where I started meeting uh, new people um in my role you know I, so i was the only first year student there uh and then you know there were there were a few second year third year there were a few seniors there and so they definitely knew the ropes better than i did right they they knew the university a lot better so it's really funny because now in my center, we have a lot of formal mentoring relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Like in gateway as well. But I, now that I think about it, it's really funny that I'm realizing this now. I never actually went through a formal mentoring program. Um, I got mentoring in, you know, organically through work just from seniors that mentored Mm -hmm. first year. Um, but I think that only goes to show the power of, uh, mentoring experiences, not only formal mentoring experiences, like, in a program, but also just organic mentoring experiences, um, you know, that you can find.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's one of the ways that I've found that is so easy to make meet people, which is organizations on campus or even outside of campus or a job, which is one of the things that I wish I would have had, um, while I was in college, because it just helps you meet more people. But I I find that so interesting. I did want to shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, study abroad now because yeah. this is, this is such a topic that is close to my heart because it's just it changed my life. Um, when you built your first study abroad program, which I think was it the social entrepreneurship program in China? Was that yes. the first? Yeah. What, what was, um, why did you think it was important to build that program?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, honestly, Caesar, I'd be remiss if I didn't give credit where credit is due. Um, mm-hmm. so, Dr. Leonard Moore and Dr. Ge Chen, um, who had already retired by the time you got to UT, were really the architects um, of the program. So I can speak a little bit to my role in it, um, but I okay. really have credit where it's due, right? Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. If you're
1: listening out there, Dr. Leonard Moore, Dr. Gu Chen, um, they're really the, the pioneers that um, got that program um, set up and up and running. And I was fortunate enough to be the very first teaching assistant to be a part of that program. The first cycle that I ran. Oh, wow. um, And then ended up co-leading it with Dr. Moore after Dr. Chen retired. Um, But I did want to give that caveat out there. No, yeah. um, You know, I think, I think giving credit where it's due is important. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I've always thought that study abroad is really important. Again, kind of drawing from my own personal experiences Mm -hmm. Um, as an undergraduate student, I participated in two um, as an undergrad, both of them were May master. So month long programs similar to the ones that you uh, participated in as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to one in Beijing, China, and I went to another one in um, Brussels, Belgium. Mm. Um, So I did two of them back to back, actually similar to you. And similarly, you know, that, that experience just really changed my life. You know, I think going abroad, being in situations that are completely out of your comfort zone, um, in countries, at least for me, where I couldn't understand the language and there was like a language barrier. I mean, to me, there's no other environment where it gets kind of more Primal and real, <laughs> just to be honest, right? Because you really depend on like survival skills, yeah. Uh, when you're abroad. And so I know both of those experiences, and I've traveled a lot more since then. Um traveled to every continent, actually, except for Antarctica and uh uh Australia at this point. Um, but I think just studying abroad and having those experiences really taught me how. Big the world is, mm. and how even though our lives we can focus on such like minute details, there's such a big world out there, right? And there's so mm. many different ways that different people and different societies do things, um, that it's really uh, I mean, it's just a huge privilege and a benefit to be able to study abroad. And so, at least from my end, um, you know. As someone who kind of benefited from this as a first-generation college student, again, kind of looping back in with that, that was an experience that I definitely wanted to provide for other first-gen students in particular, but really all students um, who had any sort of interest in seeing another part of the world.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, that, I didn't know you had gone on study abroads, but similarly that that's, it kind of opens your, you're, you're, you're in a bubble when you're here in the United States, you're in a bubble in your city. Right. And like you go to a new city and that bubble kind of bursts, but you're still in the United States. When I went to China, you know, it was one of the things that really um, uh, impressed me was how uh, Chinese people also, they didn't really care about other countries. At least from from what I saw, it's like kind of like they thought they were the best kind of like Americans think they're the best. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, whoa, <laughs> everybody's like in their own bubble.. Yep. But I want to ask you uh, you know, you've worked with so many students what what are the what are some of the lessons that like you or how do, how, how do these uh, study abroad programs impact like minority students or people who are especially first generations? what what does it lead them to then go do? Or how does it benefit them?
1: Yeah. So I'll go back to a, a specific story and this was a big part of why we, um, launched this program too. And we were very methodical and intentional about mm-hmm. how we built out that program. Right. So that program and the South Africa program, um, was very much so skills based and career based, right. Yeah. Um, so social entre- entrepreneurship, where you get a chance to learn about the history and the culture and the language to a certain extent. Um, but really more so kind of teaching you skill sets that are transferable. Mm-hmm. And I remember our first cycle. So there was, a, um an alumnus of the program, um, from the cycle before you Caesar, mm-hmm. that went on the study abroad program and he was a graduating senior. So he had technically already walks and then he did the program and then graduated. Right. That was his last yeah. class for graduation. And so right after he went back, to the United States, he um, he was embarking on job interviews, mm-hmm. so he was interviewing at a few different companies, and uh, he was a business major, similar to yourself, graduated yeah. from McCombs. And when he was interviewing with the folks who you know were were um, were speaking with him, they didn't ask him about his classes. They didn't ask him about what he learned in a textbook. You know, they didn't ask him about his grades, actually, right? Like, which I think is a huge (laughs) misconception sometimes. It's like your grades define you, right? Mm. And what they wanted to talk to him about was what it was like being a Black man in China for the month that he was there,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And the experiences that he had um, as a Black man, um, you know, navigating through China, navigating through the the pearl and the silk markets, Mm. negotiating, right? For (laughs) um, how he handled teaching as part of the dandelion school, you know, and how he was able to manage that through language barriers um, and cultural differences. And those were the actual things that they wanted to talk with him about because those were the things that were much more indicative of you know, his likelihood to be successful in a role. Right. Yeah. And so I think for me uh, that story has always remained with me Hmm. because he went on to tell other students, right. um, Particularly BIPOC, you know, black Latinx students Mm -hmm. about his experiences in China. And then from there it really snowballed. He was part of our first cohort, but again, the, the, the importance of organic mentoring relationships, he was able to tell his story and then other future generations of students got really excited about the opportunities in terms of what he learns, but they also want to experience it for themselves.
0: Yeah. Do you, and you know, I wanted to mention how like you, you were right on the, the the study abroad programs that you and Dr. Moore created in South Africa and China were so unique because you guys had these, uh, it, they taught us so many skills. I mean, we had basically internships and and jobs while we were over there. Not all study abroad programs do that. But, uh, I think it's important if, if you, if students can find a study abroad program like that to take those, but I, I also think it's important to just go abroad, uh, no matter what, because of like all the, all the lessons that you learn, like you, you mentioned, you're basically surviving. One of the things that I learned studying abroad was, I don't know if this is similar, a similar experience you had, but I, in Thailand, cause I did another study abroad in Thailand, yeah. but I, I found that language was kind of not necessary. We're like, as in the p- people are kind and I've, I can point at things and like, I'm hungry. I kind of want some of that and I have money. And they're like, Oh, okay. How many, do you, how many do you want? And, and not just in a scenario where I was buying food, but also I did Muay Thai, which is Thai kickboxing. Mm-hmm. And my trainers never spoke uh, English and I never spoke Thai, but we had such a weird connection where we were able to communicate and go out to watch Muay Thai fights together, go out to lunch. And it was like, it was weird. There's something about human connection that goes beyond just words. And that was one of my favorite lessons from studying abroad.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, um, takeaway. And I think, um, along with that, and I'm curious about your experience as well, Mm -hmm. is that, there's a lot of really good people out there. Oh, so many. You know, like so many. when you're when you're studying abroad, <laughs> or when you're just abroad in general, especially in a country where you don't know the language, you really have to think that you're kind of at the mercy of like the people who are there, right? Like oh, yeah. they don't have to help you out. But <laughs> I think more often than not, you're will, you know, you find people that are not always, but you know, you're you're more than, often than not you're able to find people that are willing to help you, you know, find directions or get to where you need to go or help you order food. Right. Yes. Um, and so I think traveling abroad and studying abroad also made me realize similar to kind of what you were saying in terms of, you know, the language matters, but not as much as you might think it does because there's just, just this, uh, synergy and human connection. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also just, you know, there, there's a lot of really great people and kind-hearted people in the world. And
0: that's uh, a very uplifting message and experience to have. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, is how happy some people are um, and, and not really just, and I'm not trying to say like, it's it's like, you see people who are in situations that I guess like in the United States, you would consider poverty, but like to them, at least with some of the people that I spoke to and, and that I got to hang out with, it was just like, it wasn't even a thing that they really thought about. Like sometimes, yes, they thought about how they don't have a lot of money, but it was like, there was more to life than just money, you know? And there, it was just like, um, in some of the cases, like in South Africa, it was, it was, a, what I saw was that it was, people were more connected with their culture, with their community and that brought them happiness. And that kind of also shifted my perspective on what, what is important to me in my life you know, and it made me question things. Do I really want to uh, pursue a career just because of the money or, or is it more than that? And then that's one of the the insights I had in, in Thailand. And I realized, no, it's, it's about the people. It really is because these study abroad's they were awesome. Not because I studied abroad, but because of the, all the people that I met, we became instantly best friends. Cause we didn't know anybody else. And those people I still talk to, to this day. And 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 we can look back and be like, dude, remember when we were in China partying? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's been that's one of the things that I always bring up to my friends, and a lot of my friends, I think they don't understand me because they never had the experience, which is why I'm telling my little brother and a lot of people you should study abroad. But I wanted to ask you, what advice do you give to to students who are uh, hesitant? Because I was lucky to have. Like uh, my mom, my mom who supported me a lot and like go study abroad. And my dad was like, why do you want to go? You know? So I had my mom's support, but some people don't have that. What advice do you give to students who are afraid to study abroad because it, because they're just afraid or because they don't have family support?
1: Yeah. It's really interesting that you bring that up because, um, because as you may know, we actually wrote a research paper, um, about. Underserved and first-gen students studying abroad, right? And, and one of the things more often than not was how family perspectives changed. So I'm not sure if that was the case with you, but yeah, we we had um, overwhelmingly the parents and family members of our students at first were not supportive. They thought it was a waste of money. They thought that studying abroad is something that only rich white folk do. Um, and, you know, they didn't see their own students and and and, you know, family members participating in study abroad opportunities. And what we found that was particularly interesting was that that perspective completely changed while they were in their study abroad experience. There was actually one student who said,, um, that his mom didn't believe that he was going until he was texting her on the plane, like, all right. I'll wow. see you in a month. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, uh, and his mom was like, Oh, you're really going, huh? And he was like, yep, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> and then, you know, her attitude really changed. And she was like, Oh my gosh, like, I love you so much. Like I'm, you know, like I, I support you all the way. And he was like, well, yeah, you know, like you don't have a choice at this point, right? Like I'm going, yeah. <laughs> Um. but, but then, you know, it, it became like, every time they checked in, she wanted to know everything that was going on. And like, she wanted to keep him on the phone and, and, You know, she was so engaged in his experience um, Mm -hmm. while he was abroad. And um, that's something that we've kind of seen a lot. So a message to those of you who may be struggling with this, if you're not feeling the family support, know, first off, that you're not alone. Um, Our research literally showed that this was something that um, a lot of students, especially from immigrant families, especially from first-generation backgrounds, um, experience, but that doesn't mean that once you go, or once the realization kind of sets into your family members that they won't come around a little bit more. I think also, uh, like I had mentioned, um, if you are feeling a little bit alone in the process, I would recommend reaching out and um, seeking resources. There's a lot of really great ones. Uh, For example, there's an organization called Diversity Abroad, uh, which is an international organization dedicated to, um, you know, underserved communities going abroad. Um, and so that's a really great organization to look into. Uh, but also just, you know, looking for uh, for folks that have been there um, that you can connect to. One thing that I found is that folks who study abroad, and Cesar, I know you're part of this group too. So, like, alumni who have gone abroad love to talk about their experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely love it, right? So it's not something that you're going to need to, like pressure them to talk to you about. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to be very willing to speak with you about their experiences. So if you can ask for anyone that you know or someone who knows someone um, who has studied abroad, I can almost guarantee you that they'll be very willing to share with you their experiences and have advice for you. And if anything, you might have the opposite reaction of not uh getting them to shut up about their experiences. So just find the right people and uh and you know you can definitely take
0: it from there. Yeah. I never, I never shut up about my study abroad experiences.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Join the club. It's, 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 all of us, right? But it's because yeah. those experiences are so, are so powerful, right? They're, oh, so powerful. They, they become a part of who we are. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's why people who do come back from studying abroad and being abroad um, are just so passionate about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask, you know, you, the, the program that you ran, um, was very competitive to get in because of, uh, uh, it had a lot of hype around it. And a lot of people wanted to follow it, wanted to follow Dr. Moore, wanted to follow you. Um, what, uh, what advice do you give for what, what was it in the students that were chosen? What qualities did you see in students that were chosen or what qualities were you looking for? Um, and I'm asking this question, just perhaps if somebody is trying to get in a very study in a very hard program to get into, like, just so that you know what qualities you look for in students?
1: Yeah. So in our info sessions, we were pretty transparent, um, about being specific as to why you want to participate in this particular program, as opposed to others, mm-hmm. um, why this country, why this time, I, I think it's, again, speaking of transferable skill sets is how you would go into any sort of job application or. Um, interview, right? Where mm. you want to think about like, why now? Why here? Why this position? Why this program? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because those are probably the first questions that they're going to ask you <laughs> yeah. um, in an interview. Um, and so, you know, we always kind of, t- in our info sessions, we always said that that was something that you should definitely kind of think through. Um, so we had folks that were interested in family law, that were really interested in the one child policy that was around at the time, right? So so that mm. was like a fit for folks who were interested in family law but wanted to see the ramifications and implications of what it looks like in another country with a one-child policy. Um, You know, we had folks that were interested in environmental studies, right? And Beijing is like one of the most polluted cities in in the world, right? And so it made a lot of sense why they would want to go specifically to Beijing to take a look at Um, environmental policies from a foreign perspective. So those are just a few examples in terms of how you, um, you know, and how we had students kind of make the fit and make a pitch to why, um, why this program at this time. But I think outside of that, to be honest, and and I like to say this to to everyone because there's always an element that's outside of your control, to be really honest. Mm -hmm. So yes, put your best foot forward in terms of your fit. I think that's what you do have control over. But in any situation, there's always an element where you don't have any control over it. And what I mean by that is for us, we always want to choose a well-rounded cohort in a group. Mm. So we would look for a diversity of majors, a diversity of race, ethnicities, gender identities, um, you know, year in school, right? So overwhelmingly, we always had a lot of like first-year students apply, Um, and so, you know, we would, we wouldn't be able to take all of them. And so we would try to choose out a cohort that consisted of first year through graduating seniors, et cetera. So, so I also like to pitch that out there because sometimes there are things about your identity that may not be within your control, but when folks are picking a group or a cohort, they're usually trying to pick a, a well, well well-rounded diverse group, right? Because especially in, in an experience where you're abroad, um, those diverse experiences are assets that everyone brings to the table as a group. So mm. that's just something that I also like to talk about and bring up.
0: Gotcha. Now, yeah, I think that's important to know as well. Um, I was going to ask, you know, um, do you, were there any other universities, you know, besides UT Austin that, that had like study abroad programs that you, you and Dr. Moore, or at least Dr. Moore, yeah, that they, you guys tried to model when you guys were building those programs or were there, are there any study abroad programs that stand out? Um, yeah. So around the country.
1: So I think when we were building the program at the time, um, we were we were lucky enough to really be kind of one of the first to um, essentially put the model on its head, right? And what I mean by that is that study abroad programs um, had traditionally and still may traditionally be uh, predominantly female and predominantly white, and so at that time we were trying to flip that, right, and try to get as many black and brown students, frankly, into study abroad programs as possible, as many first generation students. We wanted as many students who had never left the state or the country, and this was their first time getting a passport into the program. That was wow. our priority. Um, but there's a lot of really notable programs out there. Um, you know, I'm part of the diversity abroad um, coalition. And so there's a lot of really interesting Um, things happening all the time that they're always promoting. One in particular that I'm pretty familiar with uh, is a friend of mine from Miami Dade College actually won a competition for um, where she launched a a study abroad program specifically for folks that um, came from housing insecurity backgrounds. Um, So they were either homeless or housing insecure. And so a lot of times, you know, the the misconception is that you will look at someone with that identity and think that study abroad would be the last thing on their mind, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And what they actually found was that there were a lot of folks that were housing insecure. So maybe they were couch surfing or they didn't have a permanent home or an address, but the idea of study abroad for them was completely exhilarating, right? And they really did oh, do yeah. really it. Um, and so she actually ended up winning a competition with Diversity Abroad where they funded this project and from what I understand, it became permanent. So now they have a, a program that funds students with housing insecurity, food insecurity, um, homeless folks, right. Or people who are um, experiencing homelessness, um, and they're able to provide them with the opportunity to go abroad as well. Wow.
0: What uh university was that at? Uh, Miami Bay college community college. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, for, I think for anyone, the opportunity to go to another country is like, wow. That's incredible. I wanted to ask more about your study abroad experiences. I know we're coming up on time here, but like, which one was your, uh, your favorite study abroad? You said you went on two.
1: Yeah, I went on two different programs and they were both very different. Um, I mean, it's hard to choose a favorite as I'm sure it is for you having gone to both China and South Africa, right? Because I I know you get that question a lot.
0: Yeah, or I guess which one was the most impactful? I think that would be a a better question. Which one had the most impact on your life? I mean, it's a similar (laughs) similar problem, but...
1: Yeah, um, so I think for the China program, I ended up uh, keeping in touch a little bit more with the people that I um, traveled abroad with. Even to this day, Oh, gosh, what are we like approaching like 20 years <laughs> since wow. I the that program, um, which just goes to show you the power of relationships that you yeah. have um, as part of the study abroad experiences. There was a, a small group of about five to six folks that I um, hung out with during that uh, study abroad opportunity. And, you know, we've been in each other's weddings. We've. Um, Kept in touch to this day. Anytime that I'm in their city or they're in my city, we always hit each other up. Um, so I'll say that for the for the Beijing program. And I think as far as for the Brussels program, um, I mean, something like a, a key takeaway that I took from that program was just the uh the um the importance of being able to get out of class and to be able to get into the city. Uh, we traveled throughout Europe for that. Class, so we went beyond, um, you know, boundaries and borders, um, and and that was just an experience that I'll also really never forget. Wow.
0: As as my last finishing question, I just wanted to ask because you were my first year uh, interest group advisor, and I remember going to ask for advice for, about entrepreneurship, and, and you've worked with a lot of first year students. I want to ask, what what piece of advice would you give to all incoming freshman students in any college around the country? Like, what do you think would be a piece of advice they should hear?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, one that's kind of generalizable to everyone is uh, do whatever you can to get out of your element. So what I mean by this is take a class that's not a part of your major. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Learn a language that you never thought that you would learn, right? College is... In many time in, in many respects, the one time that you have in your life to kind of do whatever you really want to. Um, and so I, I think that's really important to be able to get out of your element and learn from diverse perspectives and learn as much as possible. Um, so that's that would be my advice to, to all first year students. Um, you know you have a few years ahead of you so you have time.
0: so uh, make the best use of that time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Liu. Thank you for taking the time to come on here. I'm really grateful. Um, Is there anywhere online where people can reach you? I know there's, uh, I mean, you're the director at Oasis, uh, but if they had like questions or any resources that you recommend.
1: Yeah. Feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on there pretty, pretty uh, frequently. Um, And also my email is clu at UCSD.edu. If you'd like to get, reach out to me. Um, It's also on the Oasis website. So happy to connect with anyone out there.
0: Hey there! If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of the Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe, if you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Caesar, of Caesar, of Caesarine binguine, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called the Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.